In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text is taken from the epistle for this day, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 9. St. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is our text. Do you care for your family because you want to or because you have to? Few would admit to caring for their families because they were made to do so, because they were afraid of the penalty of some law. The fact is that the approval of the ones we love is what makes daily life bearable, even enjoyable for most people. The joy of my wife and children is much more motivating than the requirements of some law. For we were made to live by grace and not by contract. St. Paul in our text is making the same point to the Corinthians when he talks about the act of grace of the churches of Macedonia who were eager to share the privations of fellow believers overseas and were taking a collection for their relief. Paul points out that they were not required to do this, but they gave because they wanted to serve others and please God. Paul challenges the Corinthians to compare their faith with this standard and encourages them to live by God's gift of grace. In the same way, let us accept Paul's challenge to live with God by grace. Now we are tempted to live by the law. We don't trust God to save us. And so we want to save ourselves. That's the impulse of the flesh. We don't understand God and therefore we do not trust him. If you don't understand what someone else is thinking, if you don't understand what motivates someone else, you can't trust that other person. 
And so we, in our native ignorance, in our self-centeredness, we cannot comprehend the love of God and His care for us. Therefore, we do not trust Him. And what's worse, we trust ourselves when we should not. For you see, we live in an illusion. We have illusions about what we can do. We think we're in control when in fact we're not. I can stop anytime I want. That's not just the alcoholic's delusion. It's yours and mine. When we think that we can do what's right, when we think we can lay aside sinning, when we think that we can please God, when we think that we know what's best, that's an illusion. And one of God's favors to us is to cure us of that illusion. Think of this ordinary episode that happens in many of our lives. We often say what we feel rather than what we mean. We get angry at someone and we tell them to go to hell. We get mad at a loved one and we say, I hate you. And then frequently we have to say immediately right after, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. You see, there's a conflict between what we feel and say on the one hand and what we really mean. The conflict, the divide is deep in our own hearts, in our own experience. That's why I say we live in an illusion if we think we can always do what's right. But because of that illusion, and because of our distrust of God, we want to be saved by works. The illusion we live in leads us to think that God owes us. This happened to me once about 25 years ago. My check bounced and my statement showed that I had a credit of $1,000. So I marched on down to the Shawmut Bank in Boston and had it out with the banker and found out that instead of subtracting, I had added once and instead of $1,000 in my favor, I was a thousand or in arrears. It was pretty embarrassing, pretty stressing. That's the experience that we have when we come face to face with God and see the real standing in the light of God's holiness. You see, the illusion we live in leads us so that we fail to recognize our debt. We don't recognize even God's help when he gives it to us in the most palpable way. We're like the man driving in the fog. He saw that the speed limit was 45, so he drove 35 because he was going to be safe in the fall. Nevertheless, a police car pulled up behind him, and he was so angry at the policeman, couldn't he see he was driving 10 miles less than the speed limit to be safe in the fog? And the policeman flasher went on, and the guy slowed down. Maybe the policeman wants to pass me. So the policeman, sure enough, pulled up ahead and then stepped on the brake. 
The man driving the car got into a fender bender with the policeman. And he jumped out of the car and he yelled at the policeman, what the heck did you do that for? And the policeman calmly explained that the bridge was out up ahead and because he had refused to pull over, the only way to keep him from falling into the ravine was to pull in front and stop him. So God does things to save our life and because we don't understand the situation, we respond in anger as well as ignorance. This is what happens when we try to live by the law, when we live by constraint and we expect to force God into doing things. We demand justice and then are surprised to find out that we are impossibly in debt and our situation is lost. That's why God has had grace upon us through Jesus Christ. And we who are forgiven and accepted by grace are then challenged to live by grace. For God has given us all things freely. You remember the gospel in a nutshell. God so loved the world that he gave. Put your name in the place of the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. But before most of you were old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, God gave you that gift of faith through baptism. He put parents and others in your life to lead you to a saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So even your faith itself is not a good work that God gives you credit for, but rather it's God's gift in your life. God didn't have to give you anything because God does not live by the law. He lives with you by grace. And if that grace is in your life, your life will reflect that grace. That's the challenge that St. Paul was offering to the Corinthians. For we can reflect God's grace, we can live in that grace by eagerness to do what pleases Him. Now you know what it's like from family life, what it is to live by law and to live by grace. One of the most annoying things your kids can do for you is to say they'll only do what you tell them and nothing more. So you got to tell them to do everything, and even that little that they do, they do with a poor attitude. And it doesn't feel like you want to treat them with any grace after that experience. And so we too, by our legalistic obedience to God's laws, can forfeit grace. That's why St. Paul writes so adamantly to the Galatians that they should not obey the Jewish ritual laws because you, if you think this is earning you credit with God, you have forfeit grace. Instead, we are to have lives that reflect God's grace. Now, the Macedonians are an example of this. They saw a need and were eager to help. And Paul commends them to the Corinthians and to us. And this leads to the question, what needs are we eager to help? What do we see in the people around us, needs that make us 
eager to help. There may be one need that is more motivating to you than another. Some of you have a heart for missions and give generously there. Some of you have a heart for those caught in disaster and give to those there. Some of you have people in your lives, relatives or neighbors, and you give generously there. You can do this in a life of grace, not expecting to be repaid, but merely to please God. As Paul says, the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in their generous giving. There's the example for us to follow. And you know, many of our daily duties are opportunities to please God as well as those around us. The duties we have in the home we can do them in the desire to please God and those whom we serve. And that shows in our attitude, not just having dinner on the table, but serving it with a smile. Not just cleaning your room, but doing so in a way that is eager to please mom or dad, your roommate or your spouse eager on the job to do the things that serve the customer, that make for excellence, that is pleasing to those with whom you work. Yes, most of our daily duties are opportunities to live not by law and its requirements, but by grace. Because God has freely given to us, we can freely give to others. And we can excel in the grace of giving. As St. Paul says to the Corinthians, this I challenge you because their giving is a measure of their love. And because your love is genuine, Paul says, I know that you will excel in this grace of giving. And I know that you too have been graced by God and that the measure of your love is reflected in what you give to the Lord and what you give to others. In your time, in your talents, and in your treasures, what you give is the measure of how much you love. For you see, charity is the attitude and not the gift. Charity is a translation of the word agape or love in the modern translations it's the desire to please not the obligation discharged so give to the Lord give freely give joyfully give eagerly let us accept Paul's challenge to live with God by grace amen and that peace of God that surpasses understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord.